0: So, actually, the story is that I was getting so frustrated by how poorly these companies understood their market, their market, and their customer, right? Their user
1: experience was going to suck.
0: Garbage, right?
1: Welcome to the Mastering Medicare Podcast, where we demystify healthcare and Medicare for senior serving professionals and providers with your co hosts, Dr. Alex Moseni and Dr. Amy Schiffman. Visit masteringmedicare.net for show notes, additional episodes, and valuable resources. We are so excited to be back today for an episode that is just gonna be Alex and me, your two usual co-hosts. Hi, Alex.
0: Hey me, how are you?
1: Good. Don't you wish everyone's listened to the last four podcasts that we've done? Actually, five. we've done five. Oh my yeah. god, we've done five podcasts. And we
0: have a bunch more in the queue. Really oh, excited. So ones. many,
1: but like this one's like so important. Yeah. I- we're like scooting this one in front of everybody else's. Yeah. Sorry, everyone.
0: We've had a bunch of doctors reach out to us on multiple fronts. But before before we get into today's topic, which is telemedicine, remote patient monitoring, uh, we, we want to make a shout out to our amazing podcast studio, Blue Room Productions.
1: What? Go so Conrad.
0: Conrad. We have the greatest sound engineer the, the in the best. world. The best. In Bethesda, Maryland. So if, if, Blue Room. If you're stuck at home and you want to start some sort of podcast or something or you need.
1: Oh, yeah. He can do it remotely, too. Yes. Which is even kind of cool. But then you would not be able to see like the, all the 70-inch screens and all your voice. Whatever. It's so cool. It's cool to be a podcaster.
0: Yes. And a second shout out to all of our Emergency medicine colleagues who are right now putting themselves, their lives, their families' lives in front of everybody else. Absolutely. And uh, thank you guys. You know, Amy and I are both former ER docs who. We've lived through
1: some stuff anthrax,
0: SARS, Ebola. Ebola, yeah, Ebola. Oh my gosh. And so with those episodes, we had a, a small taste of of this but this is on a scale that's that's none of us has have ever seen in our lifetime and you know I'm reading these stories about what our friends and colleagues are going through uh and it, it doesn't is, feel like
1: modern America by the way when you hear these stories like people using like uh, kerchiefs you know around their faces I don't know really it's really scary just, it's
0: you know my maternal grandparents escaped from Latvia in World War II and When I heard their stories, you know, as a child of of what they went through, the the incredible uncertainty in their lives, the the risks that they took, the freezing temperatures and running out of food and lots of people dying, um, you know, it gave me a certain perspective on life growing up. And over the last number of years, you know, in the U.S., you know, living as a physician here with my family being healthy. And and, you know, overall, the U.S. and the economy generally doing well, I without a doubt, I had this sense of impending doom and I could never put my finger on it because it just felt like this is too good to be true. It there's it's hard to go back and look in history and find an era of prosperity this long. You know, well, we with, take a
1: lot of things for granted. I mean, you yeah. know, the funny thing is I think about those things, too. I think about how we absolutely take for granted a lot of times that you get, you know, you get pregnant and you have a baby and everybody's perfect. Like that ne- that's not always the case, obviously. But like we, we don't think about the fact that many times women used to die in childbirth. Like that was like a very common thing yeah. not too long ago. And the penicillin is not even 100 years old. I mean, and here we are sort of like this massive, it's like a massive reversion, Yeah. It's like an inversion of, of sort of like what we've taken for granted for a long time. Yeah. There's infinite supply. No, there's not infinite supply anymore. There's not. We're running out of things that we would just otherwise go into a supply closet and just grab. Not just one, but many of things. Ah, who cares if we throw that away? Who cares if we throw this away? It's almost like people have said this is going to remind them of not only the Spanish flu in terms of just the impact on maybe psychological health and physical health, but sort of the World War II, you know, conserving, preserving. Yeah. I mean, people are not going to be going out to eat. People are eating in. It's it's definitely going to change how people, I think, approach things, but we have to get on the other side of it, and I don't think people even know what that means yet. So yeah, you're much more philosophical about things. I'm very <laughs> concrete about them. So for me personally, I'm just I, – I, I, it, I it hasn't sunk in yet. So, but I, again, I just want to go back to the original reason that you're sort of going down this road, which is you're very, very thankful for the people who are on the front lines right now helping to take care of people.
0: Yeah. You know, being an emergency medicine provider, whether a physician, nurse, PA, NP, tech, secretary, you know, and all the hospital staff at baseline, it's such a difficult job with working with you know oftentimes in an understaffed environment without sufficient resources mission driven yeah, and to now lay on top of that a pandemic where every patient in front of you could be contaminating you and then you might take that contamination home to your to your family, you know right now we have multiple we know of multiple emergency room providers who are already intubated and in the i c u across the country. And, and this is just the beginning. This is, you know, so shout out to all of our friends and colleagues who are doing such amazing work with very few resources and, and not enough appreciation as to the incredible task at hand.
1: Yeah, and hopefully every day we'll sort of, you know, get better.
0: Yeah. So, all right, so
1: with that uplifting thought. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so today we're going to talk about Something that is, I think, really important because of what we've just been talking about, which is how to provide care to patients who are not physically in front of us. And what is it that Medicare will pay for for these patients? Because as it stands right now, and I'm just now I'm just sort of reflecting on sort of where we have been prior to COVID, is that there's a lot been a lot of talk about technology and bringing technology to the home and the word telehealth, telemedicine. I mean, honestly, I kind of don't really love those two words anymore because they're just used that ad nauseum and have lost all meaning it's like yeah you know they just don't have any meaning so i think when we want to talk about it i think we're going to get really very granular here so that people understand exactly what it means now to say telehealth and telemedicine within the context of the amy and alex show essentially yeah yeah
0: are so you, yeah. yeah so <clears throat> there are you know in in the it used to be that in order to build a patient encounter, the physician had to see the patient in the office
1: face yeah. to face, physical right physically face to face
0: right and if we go back i don't know maybe twenty thirty years or so, folks started to realize that, hey, the resources available to people in the more rural areas of America are less than the resources available to those in the big cities with with these fancy hospitals and fancy city doctors.
1: So you think that's where telemedicine sort of sprung from?
0: Well, not, not, from, not
1: from like just the plain old convenience of just, hey, it'd be so great to just pick up the, pick up a, Well, whatever. I'm not saying something, that's where something. it
0: sprung from. I'm saying that when Medicare originally started allowing the reimbursement for telemedicine for medicare patients it was only seemingly in that context in that context so to
1: replace what was already at, like to not to replace anything but to bring in something that doesn't already exist
0: correct it, it was and and so if you see it from that context you'll understand the pre covid-19 medicare rules for telemedicine so i want to briefly review generally what those rules were, so that you understand where we came from relative to where we are now post-COVID-19. So in order for a Medicare patient receiving telemedicine for that encounter to be reimbursable, several criteria had to be met. Number one, the patient had to physically be in a non-metropolitan statistical area, which, and there's
1: maps of that yes. on Yes. Okay. Yeah, you can Got just it. but you can, could like
0: have looked. Yeah, you can just go like look. Like a week
1: ago we could have looked online and said, "Oh, am I in a am I in a space where yeah. Medicare would potentially even pay for this?"
0: Right. And okay. to be and, and so these are called MSAs and to be to not be in an MSA means you're in the middle of nowhere. Is you're that in a medically
1: da- what does that stand metropolitan for?
0: Metropolitan Statistical Area.
1: Metropolitan so, Statistical so, Area. Yeah, so okay. every
0: city like San Francisco, LA, whatever, these are all MSAs and all the surrounding suburbs are part of that MSA. So in order for you to geographically qualify, you would have had to be way in the boondocks. So I'm talking oh, about wow. hours okay. outside of any metropolitan city. So so that in and of itself reduced the, the potential population for whom any tele- telemedicine for Medicare patients would qualify to a very small number.
1: Sorry, I, I, yeah. let me interrupt for a second. So an, is a non-MSA also considered to be rural? So like is everything yes. that's not an MSA is then by default also rural? Or I, so- I believe it to be okay. so. Okay, close I'm, enough. Yeah. Okay, got close it. Enough. So basically, yeah. if you're not in an MSA, you're rural. And if you're rural, you are suddenly in this potential space where you could receive telemed services but they have to be accessed.
0: And- well, here's the, so here's the second big point that, that uh, was a major roadblock, which is you had to meet the originating site requirement. So what this meant was that in, or, the patient had to physically be in essentially a healthcare environment like a clinic or a doctor's office or an ER or a health center in order to have the telemedicine encounter they could not do it from home which so again that's why i'm Cockamamie. saying by the right. way that
1: that usually you're the one that is just your mind is blown yeah. i mean i remember learning about this thinking this makes no sense
0: right so that's why i'm saying the original thought was that that oh the real use of telemedicine is when there is like you go to the hospital cuz you're having a stroke And you're in a rural area, so they don't have a neurologist, you know, to evaluate you. So let's consult the neurologist from the city, and we'll pay for that because everybody should have a neurologist available, and because you're in a rural area, you don't. So Medicare will pay for that. But if you are a Medicare patient at home and you want to talk to a doctor, they would not pay for that, okay? Even
1: if you lived 40 miles from that
0: that healthcare
1: center that was then going to put you on camera— and using some designated yep. HIPAA—I'm using my fingers—HIPAA-compliant yeah. software package right. and technology, then beam you into the metropolitan center to see the neurologist, you you still had to leave the farm. Or yeah, you still so had, it, was,
0: it was meaningless. Meaningless. So telemedicine—so then there was a third issue, which you just alluded to, which is the technology. So, you, you know, the encounter had to occur via a HIPAA-compliant platform— and HIPAA compliance, quote-unquote HIPAA compliance, is a vague thing. You know, CMS has never said HIPAA compliance necessarily means this level of encryption or, you know, exactly these softwares but not those softwares. But that vagueness has created both opportunity and a lot of frustration in the no, marketplace. It's a,
1: it's, a, it's a whole cottage industry of lawyers who are right. basically trying to help you to figure out how much more money do you have to spend on any given product right. in order to meet whatever criteria that we that you do or don't have to meet i, I don't even
0: right so 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 this is the pre covid-19 world and in, in in that context you can see why telemedicine was essentially zero for it was for, zero yeah, so i'm i'm going to be Medicare i'm going to be the
1: alex here and i'm going to do i'm going to talk back to you and sort of explain back to you what yeah. i think you just basically said which is before the emergency proclamation in the past couple of days that has basically opened up quote unquote telemedicine to the masses. There was previously a set of rules and requirements that were making telemedicine otherwise previously not, not really utilized by, by people like you had to a be in a rural area. You had to actually go to either a doctor's office or other sort of designated space Yep and you had to have specific software and hardware requirements. Right. So my guess is it was very underutilized.
0: Yeah. And then in a few days ago Medicare tried to soften some of the rules. And they uh, they created a new rule in their softening or, and this has since changed, but I want, I do want to point it out, which was uh, they said, "Okay, we're softening all these restrictions, but there is a restriction and I believe it's new because I don't remember seeing it before. That the telemedicine encounter needs to be provided by a provider who had, or a practice who has a pre existing relationship with the patient. So they must have had an ENM type visit, meaning like an office type visit within the last three years. So so think about what that with the, means. With, with,
1: with the provider who would then be providing that. Telemedicine visit. So basically, you couldn't be a new visit, is what you're trying to say. Like you you could not be a new patient and receive telemed services initially when they were loosening the rules. Yeah, and think
0: about why that doesn't make any sense in the current context, right? So right now, let's say you're you are a senior citizen, you are 70 years old, you're you're stuck at home right now uh, because you're told to stay at home, right, with COVID 19 going everywhere, and let's say you're starting to run out of your prescription medication. And you have a relationship with a primary care doctor, but he or she, because of how telemedicine has been set up in the past with all these ridiculous rules, does not have any platform set up in order to provide ne- Yeah, there was, was no incentive for them. Right?
1: They were just sort of like, that's, like that's for somebody else.
0: Yeah, so, so there was no reason for current primary care doctors really to have any telemedicine set up for their Medicare patients. Why would they? The, the, the rules would not... Uh, support that right, so now, all of a sudden, you think that these doctors who are overwhelmed right now at this crisis point, all of a sudden they 're just going to hop on and sign up for some telemedicine platform and provide and in their off in their free time offer telemedicine to their seniors at home that 's not how it works yet there are thousands of telemedicine doctors out there who don't necessarily have a preexisting relationship with that patient, but are willing and able to provide that care. But Medicare created that stupid rule. Not right? only that,
1: but some of those telemedicine providers were not participating with Medicare because it didn't matter. Right. So so now you have like actually a supply and a demand problem all simultaneously, which is, I guess, why we're having problems in general. But you basically had doctors that were not prepared to provide the services to their patients when the rules were going to say you had to be those doctors. If if you're not the doctor that's going to be doing the telemed visit, that patient can't get one paid for by Medicare. And then simultaneously, there were these other doctors that were providing telemedicine services that had no no relationship with Medicare because there was never an incentive for them to have a relationship. So basically, it was sort of like I guess it was just basically a supply problem. The patients, on the other hand, also have a demand problem because they don't always know how to access technology from their home. Seniors are not so adept all the time at downloading a new app and figuring out how to reach their doctor. This is not a skill set that has ever been encouraged. Right. But to repeat back to you what you just said, which is these were the idea that there would not be the ability to have a new patient visit it, that's not the case anymore. So tell us where we landed. Right. So as, as of literally 36 hours ago. As
0: of March 18th, um, I believe. Um, that would have been.
1: Not yesterday, the day before yesterday. Yeah, the the, the
0: pre existing relationship rule was essentially changed, but not in the best way, I would say. Uh, CMS put out a statement that although this pre existing relationship rule exists, we won't audit you for it. So it's that's essentially saying- Go cheat,
1: but we won't look.
0: Yeah. Uh, go ahead and break the lo- the law, <laughs> and we promise we won't put you in jail for it. Come on, man. I mean, just say we are nixing that rule for now. Don't say we're looking the other way. That That's not the right way of doing it. You and know? we
1: also don't really know where this is going to go after some emergency proclamation. This is sort of like a new yeah. thing. So let's break it down. So- Let's and, get to And Wait, and,
0: yeah. and you know, the other thing that really bothered me about that statement was it specifically says HHS will not audit you. But what about the max, right? Oh, the individual yeah, well, Medicare. The Mac, yeah, the, the Medicare Administrative
1: the Center. Yeah, I mean each of these different sort of we've never really talked about this, but like right. the country is divided under part B specifically right. into different uh organizations, private companies that actually run Medicare for them throughout the United States. Exactly. And they each have an alphabetical letter. I think we're in right. J. And it's run by a company called Novitas.
0: In our area. Yeah. Yep. And I
1: love it when people call it Novitas. It makes it sound like an illness. <laughs> but uh, sorry, Novitas. Don't, <laughs> please don't come audit us. But basically, <laughs> you know, basically, you know, you've got Novitas and Palmetto and all these different right. groups and, and they're managing the Medicare rules and regulations for their little geographical area. And they actually are the ones that would come and audit you, even though right. they're all working from the same right. playbook. Somehow there's an interpretation factor that I have yet to understand. Right. Um, And they do create little rules unto themselves. And so basically what you're saying is that Medicare said, hey, listen, we're going to come down. We're going to say you can do X, Y, and Z. HHS isn't going to come after you. But what you're saying is, uh uh-oh, that may be true, but maybe the max will eventually come down. I I don't know. I don't know. What does that mean
0: that HHS is going to look the other way? Does it mean the max will look the other way too? I don't know. Let's just hope. See, see, that's why – you know, un- one of the things that drives me nuts in life is unclear instructions. No, I'm
1: super con- you know? concrete thinker. Yes. Like I want no uncertainty when it comes to stuff like this. That's J- what,
0: if you if you really want people to have access to telemedicine, make it understandable. Then, yes, explicitly say this, we that, are that. allowing this period. Yeah. You know, and you Doctors know, are really
1: good at following instructions. By they the way, really are. like when you, t- I will never forget when they came out with the annual wellness visit, which we have not really talked about. Which is like a really nice code that Medicare would pay for. So it was like a yearly. It's not a physical exam, but it's like a yearly visit that Medicare wanted for f- providers to do, and it was sort of a trigger to sort of like tap a patient on the head and say, "You belong to me as 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 a as a, a physician provider right. relationship
0: attribution." I guess it, like it's
1: sort of that's a really good way of putting it. So it sort of attributes that patient to you there was very little guidance Mm -hmm. about how to actually do it. Like just give me a piece of paper and tell me, ask these questions, do these things and I'll do those things. But there was a lot of like vaguity, and and it took, honestly, as somebody who's a super concrete thinker, it took me months to sort of feel good and feel like I was following the rules because I had to kind of come up with it all on my own. Right. It was strange. So I think Medicare has done a lot of that with this telemed thing, but I think people are feeling pretty confident because they've released a lot of things. Now you don't have to use a HIPAA-compliant platform anymore. Yeah, so anymore. let's, let's yeah, review let's, let's some in. of the let's massive
0: changes over the last few days. So th- those four barriers that we pointed out all has have essentially been eliminated. The barrier, number one, the geography restriction to being in a rural area out the door.
1: So basically, you can do it in the middle of New York City, the middle of yes. D.C., Bethesda, Maryland, you can get a telemedicine visit that will be paid for by Medicare for you, between you and?
0: And number two, any... Qual- any physician you know who's licensed and I guess participating in Medicare. Done. Okay. Yeah, great. you do not need to have a pre existing relationship. And by that, we mean HHS is going to look the other way. So you can right.
1: bill a new patient code, a new patient E&M code, evaluation management code, and get paid for that. And no that problem. That is
0: my understanding of what they have said as of March 18th. Obviously, consult your healthcare attorney. We are not attorneys. We don't provide legal advice. That's Thank you. a. Disclaimer. Yes. Great, and number the so, the, and the other two roadblocks, which were the originating site where you had to drive to a clinic to do a telemedicine, that's gone out the window. You can do it from home or from anywhere, from the park or from Panera. <laughs> and number three, the, pool. the requirement to be quote unquote HIPAA compliant, whatever that means, they've e- essentially said FaceTime and Skype and other forms of one to one video conferencing uh solutions are good enough as long as it's not a public platform where it's like one to many right obviously right so am i making sense there
1: absolutely i i mean i was gonna crack a joke but then i figured that was probably not appropriate so basically what you're saying is that whatever you have as possibly your native sort of video audio visual calling app on your phone is good enough
0: which, you know... <laughs>
1: Should have been the case forever. I mean, yes. why do you have to make a whole other industry exactly. around? I mean, I kind of feel bad for all these companies that have gone out of their way to make these crazy programs. You well, know? then
0: there's the licensing stuff. Oh, that was actually the fifth leg. Generally with telemedicine, the rule has been that you need to be licensed as a provider in the state where you are when you're providing telemedicine, physically are, and you need to be licensed in the state where the patient resides And now— They've loosened that. They've loosened that, but I'm not really sure what that means because— That scares
1: me a smidge.
0: Well, it doesn't scare me. I I think they've just added more confusion and maybe potentially false hope there because it's really states who license providers, Right. So, in what context can a federal rule like that overrule the states? And and
1: are they implying that there's just not enough providers who are willing to be in certain states? So then, just just like
0: oh, absolutely flatten it well, all. Well, we all we already know that, but but I think people don't realize that it's not that simple, right? There are state rules about licensure. I mean, you
1: have a license in nearly every state in the United States right now.
0: Yeah, but oftentimes that that itself is not necessarily enough to provide care. If you're providing care, it depends. Are you providing care through a fee-for-service model or some sort of value-based model where you might need to be credentialed with the payer, right? Oh, my God, So there's a credentialing issue and there's a state licensure issue.
1: Okay, but under under Medicare, so what you're saying is that, oh, this actually brings us back to the MAC issue, which is if I am practicing medicine and choose to practice medicine in a, my service is being provided in Maryland, I need to be credentialed with, The MAC for the state of Maryland. That's right. Oh, so what you're saying is that it might be that there's all these providers out there in Alaska that want to provide telemedicine services in Maryland, but they may not be with the MAC that serves Maryland. So, oh, I don't know how that, I wonder how that's going to work. So that's why I'm saying this this
0: proclamation that doctors can, you know, basically ignore state licensure requirements. I am i don't really understand that because it's, a, mm. it's more complicated Ooh, than what they're making. More on that. More yeah. on that. Oh, so that's interesting. So we'll see where that goes. Okay,
1: so let's summarize. So basically what you're saying is that as of 36 hours ago, we now can obtain a telemedicine visit with a new or established patient, mm-hmm. meaning the doctor can be have seen you before or not seen you before. Right. You can do it using any kind of software that's on your phone that's one-to-one.
0: Yeah, with the common ones being specifically listed by Medicare. As FaceTime and Skype. FaceTime, Skype, whatever the Google version of that is. They they explicitly mentioned a few of those. So you can go online and check those out.
1: You can do it from the comfort of your own home. You don't have to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. You, what else? What are the, the yeah, other elements? That's, other it. that's basically could, it. So yeah. that's it. And But let me just clarify one thing. You're not using house call codes though though that that was important i think that the right. codes that they were specifying were actually the office based codes as if you were in the office not house call codes because right. house call codes pay higher so right. they are... did, they listed the the codes from like 99 blah 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 to 99 something something and those were not house call codes
0: right so these so uh, another disclaimer i've spent probably about 3 or 4 years doing operating, leading, and working within multiple large telemedicine programs, but they've all been value-based programs. None of them that I have done have been fee-for-service programs. Interesting. So I am not an expert on fee-for-service billing of telemedicine, but my understanding is that these would be billed as you know, office level visits, and then they have certain modifiers that you need to correct. add. correct.
1: You would use the modifiers, right? And, and place the, of service codes would probably there's a be place there.
0: of service code and and some GT and other modifiers. So we will. There's a great handout from one of like the I forget what it's called, but one of these connected telehealth agencies or what have you that talks about the nuances and details of fee-for-service telemedicine building. We'll post a link to that yeah, that'd be great. in our show notes uh, that would for be people to look at. Yeah. I
1: Actually, there's one thing I want to add to that. So the good news is, is that for patients who are seniors and may in fact actually be homebound, this is really very important, is that a lot of them have not been able to access other Part A services, specifically home health, if they don't have a face-to-face. Like if somebody can't right. go out and do a face-to-face visit they're not going to be able to access the Medicare Part A home health. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, please go back and listen to some of our earlier podcasts. This will actually open up the opportunity for some home health agencies to really get some business because instead of saying, hey, listen – I heard that a patient is going to need to get some nursing care in there, some skilled nursing or some physical therapy or some occupational therapy. And it was reliant upon that patient either having a house call physician, nurse practitioner, PA come to their house, or the patient has to go to the office. They can just do this face-to-face visit now using telemed, which is actually a huge, great, big deal.
0: I think that's amazing. And- but, I think it's going
1: to open up some access, yeah. but keep going. Well,
0: I would say, I hope that's true, what you're saying. That, I mean, that's our interpretation. I, of, I think
1: that, yeah, exactly. Again, consult your healthcare yeah. attorney. But i that's what I, I think that's one of the nice things about this is because given that, and we haven't really done our Medicare home health sort of super deep dive, we've done part A deep dive, but not home health deep dive, given some of the changes that just happened on January the 1st, where you could not start home health for a, wound that you had never seen before, Mm. because you then you actually literally had to go physically out to that patient's house and see the wound before you could even get the nurses to go out there and start wound care. Now you could do it using telemed. And that's a really interesting twist.
0: Yeah. And there's another nuance to this that you and I have discussed, which is let's say you conduct your quote-unquote face-to-face encounter during this emergency period Mm. via telemedicine, right? Right. And then you start providing whatever subsequent encounters that rely on a preceding face-to-face, and then the emergency period is removed. Can you continue to provide those subsequent encounters that required a previous face-to-face? You know what I'm saying? You're, meaning for how long does a telemedicine face-to-face perform during oh, the emergency? Oh, count as
1: the actual face-to-face. Yeah. Oh, well, hopefully, hopefully forever.
0: And, and hopefully they'll directly address some of these questions. I'm out sh- there. And I'm
1: sure they will come up over time and I'm sure right. there'll be multiple Q&As that will, um, and FAQs that CMS will release as as sort of like people are actually acting on some of these new rules and laws. Right. But that brings me to my next question. Our next topic, because I think what we're really trying to talk about in this particular podcast is how, in the the face of of putting avoiding putting healthcare practitioners at risk, putting patients at risk, because you don't want healthy people coming into the office to potentially get exposed to COVID, and you don't want providers who then are then going to be going in and out of rooms. You don't want them getting exposed to COVID to then bring those to you know. So we just don't want to necessarily be in close space with people how do we then bring all that healthcare care has to offer and all that medicare has to offer to patients in in this time and so we've just gone through sort of the release of codes that are now going to be permitted which is the office-based codes can now be billed for medicare patients But there's like a whole other set of things that can now happen because obviously there's a lot missing when you're not face-to-face with a patient physically touching them. You're not getting their – you're not listening to their heart and their lungs necessarily. Mm -hmm. You're not getting their vital signs necessarily. But Medicare has been kind enough just by coincidence as of January 1st to do what, Alex? RPM.
0: RPM, remote patient monitoring, also called remote physiologic monitoring. Which, by the
1: way, we are really jazzed about. This yeah. is this is it. I mean, this is really where I think we wanted to have this as our only talk for today. But I think we had to bring in every sort of, you know, giving people the perspective of resources that are going to be available. RPM, we think, is amazing. Telemedicine is now extra amazing. But because the telemedicine loosening of rules, it's going to allow a lot more people to get RPM into their house because it requires a face to face visit that a lot of people were not going to be able to get.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think telemedicine and RPM actually have synergistic qualities with each other. And I'll explain why. But let's back up for a minute. Let's back up. I'm a big fan of this other podcast called Bigger Pockets, where it's all sorts of real estate investors talking about how to invest in real estate. And if if you listen to that podcast, you realize, holy cow, the folks who are really doing well in real estate are not doing traditional stuff like fixing up a house and selling like flipping, flipping it the, yeah, the, the way you flippers. see on HGTV. Mm. Uh the guys who are really doing well in real estate are taking advantage of special rules often found in the tax code or in other kind of opportunities in in either the, the regulatory space. They they know something on a deeper level, in terms of rules and regulations, which gives them a certain advantage in either sourcing deals better or getting significant tax breaks or some other significant advantage. That if you simply don't know about those rules and regulations,
1: no, you're just you're you have just, no idea, right? You're just yeah. a, a civilian,
0: right? And there is a really key insight that in listening to that podcast that I think translates really well and should translate really well to the healthcare space, which is these rules and regulations that are published are how the government influences behavior. Many people look at the tax code and think, oh, these are all, I guess, loopholes,
1: it it, ha- that's such a negative connotation. It has a negative, yeah, and because I, wanna... I think of it as special sauce.
0: Well, yes, which, is,
1: which sort of flips it on its head and makes it sound really more appealing. Like if you are smart enough to have figured out how to make money in an environment where making money in an environment is kind of tricky, you should kind of be applauded.
0: Yes, so exactly. Unless and it's,
1: and the- at least it feels super dirty. I mean, nothing, nothing about. Remote patient monitoring should be considered to feel gross. It's basically saying we figured out some new
0: codes. Well, there's a reason Medicare is paying for it because they want you to do it, and and that's the key. Th- also, learning also from the bigger pocket side, there's a reason more than ninety percent of the tax code is what you would non real estate people would call loopholes, and that's because that is how the government gets people to do what they want so the government for example wants you to um, buy and build property in low income areas so they will provide a tax break if you do that right and th- and that's how they and th- that has a major benefit to society right so it's the same thing here that so amy and i were basically pouring through m- much of the regulations and rules and new codes that were being discussed and 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 changing over the last three, four, five months. And when we did a deep dive, I'd say in Q4 of 2019, we saw the RPM codes, remote patient monitoring, and the light bulb went off in both of our minds, like, holy cow, the changes that are happening to RPM come January 1st, 2020. If you understand the math and how leverage works, these are dramatic changes that create an opportunity for practices unlike pretty much anything else that we have seen in a long time.
1: Yeah, and there, and we were really excited about it. And we actually sort of went on a both a listening tour and with a lot of companies that are yeah. doing this. And they are all super jazzed about the fact that they're gonna be able to provide this service and and be able to bring things into people's houses. However, when we went to go talk to, Boots on the ground, doctors. What what was what would you say the very first word that comes to your mind when we would discuss it? What was the first word would you say? I've got my word in my head. Audit. Skeptic.
0: Skeptic. Audit. Fear. I'm too busy.
1: That can't be right. Yeah. Like that's not a word. That can't be right. Like many words, but you know people were skeptical and they were fearful. Yep. And they thought that's a loophole. That that no, I'm not going to do that. Meanwhile, it's a gift.
0: It well, is a gift. It's a gift to the doctor and the, and the patient. patient. And the, the fundamental theory behind it. And let's, let's explain what is RPM because a lot of listeners might not. Oh know my idea. God, they're
1: just, so, yeah, they just want
0: to know. So what is the, RPM? The funda- so let's start with the why. Okay. The why and then we'll get to the what, I guess. So the why is Medicare is finally realizing and communicating and supporting the concept that the more a patient and his or her physician can interact with each other. Touch points. Yep. Yeah, the more touch points they have, the better care is provided, and the less that patient will cost the system, and the healthier and happier they will be. They with RPM, they are proving that they fully buy into that, and that is something that nobody can argue with.
1: So basically, what they're do- what Medicare is doing is catching up to all of these devices that have been. You know, people want to create all of these. Physiological monitoring devices, wearables, Fitbits and, and all Fitbits. Them, yeah. Basically, Medicare is catching up to all of that and saying, "Listen, we see the value of it. If you wear one of these things, you will care more about your health yep. because you will see your blood pressure. It's like feedback to yep. your own self. People who do that are healthier. People who feed back their own." Health to themselves tend to be healthier. Medicare wants to pay for that. And and one of the ways they're going to do that is they're going to open up new codes, encourage entrepreneurship, encourage patient involvement, encourage physician involvement. It's basically money to encourage people to do things that are just plain right. But the physician sort of impression of it initially has been of skepticism Mm -hmm. for many doctors because they're like – no, I don't want to get audited. I, that, that, that's a loophole or that yeah. can't, that's too good to be true. Or what's some of the other things that we got?
0: I'm too busy to learn something new.
1: Or I don't want all that information. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And one of the things that we've talked about is that patients and physicians can burn each other out, right? Like patients want a lot from their doctor and doctors are overwhelmed by how much patients want from them. Yep. RPM seems like it's going to make things worse for some odd reason.
0: For from, I could, some people believe that, right? But-
1: Straight up believe it. Right. So tell me what, I, I want to get granular for just a second or just really yeah. very concrete. What is remote patient monitoring? Is it okay. basically blood pressure, cuffs? Like, tell me exactly yeah, so what it means. Remote
0: patient monitoring is basically the physician or healthcare provider, like a nurse practitioner or a PA, ordering a physiologically, physiological monitoring device and Medicare or CMS has specifically suggested several, including a weight scale, blood pressure device, glucometer. Pulse oximeter. Pulse oximeter. Um, How about a thermometer? A thermometer was not listed, Okay. but they also did not say not, other physiological parameters are not to be measured. But certain ones were suggested, and mm-hmm. these need to be FDA-approved devices. And the data, so the, the provider orders the device. The patient uses the device at home and generally expected to use it on a daily basis, checking at least once a day, you know, the general concept here, although it doesn't have to be exactly 30 days per month. But the patient's checking their, their, their vital sign or physiological parameter at home, that data needs to then digitally go back to the provider or the provider's surrogate, whoever is actually doing the monitoring. And then the provider needs to spend some time engaging with the patient about that data. It's really a basic concept, right? Measure your physiology at home and have the doctor interact with you. And the types of interactions can be very, very wide. So it can be, you know, in terms of, giving feedback and encouragement it can be adjusting medication doses but it doesn't
1: have to be the doctor themselves talking on the phone with them or well,
0: well let's get to that right so when when we were these these codes were our our new codes and the their four rpm codes are 99453 99454 457 and 458 as of 2020 when we were researching RPM in 2019, these codes had just similar to telemedicine had a moderate number of restrictions. Yes, and go it ahead. was just
1: one code, right? Wasn't it? Wasn't it? No. it was the same codes in 2019. Well, nine nine four five
0: eight not exist. did not exist oh, in 2019.
1: Yeah. Exist yeah. in 19,
0: 2019. Okay, got so it. so Amy and I um are the light bulbs went off, and we started calling a bunch of different RPM companies to say. Hey, how do you guys do RPM? What's your strategy? What devices do you use? What does your platform look like? What's Not your only mar- that.
1: Well, it was really interesting. I, I just want to just stop you for a second because what we did is we were very blind to what it was that these companies did. Some of them mm. actually had devices. Mm-hmm. Some of them had platforms, right. meaning the software, and they would then interface with random stuff you could buy at CVS or on Amazon. So that, so that it wasn't the device itself, but some people made software that was FDA approved, right? Wasn't that the well, case? Well, there,
0: there's, there's at least one company that's argued that there's their their app, which is FDA approved, can function as an RPM device. As an RPM
1: device itself. Yeah. So we, we found all these companies that were just, they had a million different ways of doing this stuff.
0: Yeah. And so we we interviewed a bunch of these companies and met with some of them. And for the most part, we were unimpressed. We're very unimpressed. And I'll tell you why. Um, They were using really cool gadgets. But if you understand how a doctor's practice works, you realize the massive cognitive load on these practices. And if if you know how Medicare patients work, you understand the limitations and the difficulty of implementing any sort of new technology solution with them. So- Essentially, what was missing from most RPM companies was simplicity, right? They were so whiz-bang, you know. We we, can do
1: everything and check out our monitor and look at all the cool colors and stuff. It was, frankly, confusing. Yeah,
0: just set up the Bluetooth and connect the Wi-Fi and then, you know, download these two apps and have them connect with each other. And, And you're like, okay your and and who's going to who's going to do
1: all this? Are you going to bring in their teenage grandson to do all of this? Right? Like, yeah. What, it's, and it's like some impossible. RPM
0: vendors said, "Oh, yeah, the doctor has to order 500 devices up front. So that's another thing, right? Oh,
1: there was a cost to the physician, which in and of initially there. They, they were like, oh, and then the doctor has to pay a hundred dollars per device. And you were like, oh, forget it. This is you, not you happening. Clearly how, have, much fr- how much friction do you really want to throw in the physician's direction? Right. A- no any- way.
0: Anybody who's doing that has never tried to sell something to doctors. Doctors are cheap. Doctors are cheap. <laughs> and they're not good businessmen, many of them. And they, their cash flow sucks.
1: It's not even that their cash flow sucks overall. It's just if you tell somebody, hey, listen, not only are you going to have to outlay 100, 200 bucks per device or per patient, and then maybe you'll get paid in 8 to 12 weeks as the revenue cycle picks up and you have to look, you know, whatever, in January, but you bill in February for your January. I mean – it was a no. You could not envision how much last mile yep. negativity there could possibly be there. It, it's a no go. So when we were doing this, you Alex found this great company that was like, we're addressing all of these different things.
0: Yeah. So I. So actually, the story is that I was getting so frustrated by how poorly these companies understood. Their market. Uh, their market and their customer, right? You their could- user
1: experience was going to suck.
0: Garbage, right? And so I started going on the EMRs and I was on the Athena platform and I was trying to see has anybody integrated with the EMR? Because EMR integration is a huge problem out there, right? The doctors don't want another platform, they want to stay within their EMR. And if then that was obvious to me, right? So I go there and there was one RPM vendor at that time who was that was integrated with Athena. And then I also saw their name integrated with other EMRs and that was AccuHealth. So now a disclaimer, I called AccuHealth and I badgered Steve Sampson, the CEO with uh, so many questions <laughs> and that I fell in love with the company because I, I fell in love with the company because of of Steve and company's approach, which is they systematically looked at every single roadblock that any practice would have in in terms of implementing RPM. And they overcame every single roadblock one by one in, in such a simple and smart way. And after many hours of deeper and deeper dive, I fell in love with AccuHealth and it seems like they liked me too. So a disclaimer <laughs> now, I, I joined the company as a medical director and this so... I but I am very proud to to say that because I love people companies platforms and solutions that make other people's lives easier. Well,
1: you would say to them, listen, you got to do this because th- here's some feedback. We've gone to talk to physicians and here's their first complaint. Okay, we'll overcome that complaint. Right. Here's a way we're going to overcome that complaint. So, let's just take it for a second and yeah. tell tell me what um, an optimal RPM company would provide. Yeah.
0: So let's so let's let's talk about let's take it from beginning to end. Yeah. You know, if you are a provider and you want to do RPM, what should you expect? Right. Yeah. Exactly. So if
1: I I'm gonna so I'm gonna just slow yeah. it down a second. I'm I'm a doctor. I have a patient who's hypertension, maybe a little diabetes, COPD, whatever, some sort of chronic medical condition. I might say I think I can do a better job taking care of this patient by putting a device yep sphygmo i mean a blood pressure cuff i don't use a big word sphygmo yeah. we're going to put some sort of device in their house that they're going to check their vital signs on this device every single day that will both feedback to themselves and feedback to me through yep. some system that will help me take care of better care of them and help them take better care of themselves that's right and it will be done in such a way that does not overwhelm me as the provider, Mm -hmm. but it's going to be a device that then, not only do they not have to call me and tell me what their blood pressure is every day, because that's annoying to them and to me, Mm -hmm. they are going to have this device actually using technology, send the information to the cloud, essentially.
0: Yep. Yeah, so I I, I do want to make another comment here, which is the reason Medicare is not only paying for this program, but promoting it, is there is data that shows that patients who use these devices are more engaged in their all of their healthcare activities, right? Oh, just, so it's not just... Right. So there's this halo effect, right? So if, if the patient says or feels like, okay my doctor is expecting me to check my blood pressure every day or 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 check my glucose. And now there is accountability because every day when I check my blood pressure or blood sugar or weight, that data is going back to the office. And somebody from the office is now calling me every once in a while to see how I'm doing, talk to me about my nutrition, adjust my medication. Holy cow, this is a completely different experience. And I actually liken this to the concierge medicine experience, right? Which is that you actually have an order of magnitude more touch points with your healthcare team, an order of magnitude, not 10% more. This is like 10 to 20 times more touch points than you normally do. A normal patient might see their, their provider maybe two or three times a year, right? Maybe yeah. maybe three or four times. This is contact that's almost on a daily basis, now, the I can I can already see lots of providers saying, "Holy cow! I don't have I'm capacity yeah. for that." Are Bye-bye. you kidding? Yeah. me? Yeah. Neither can I follow that that many data points, nor um, myself, nor do I have the team to do that. So, w- one of the big updates from January first, twenty twenty, on RPM is that CMS said, "Okay, we will allow you to outsource this work." Similar to, I believe, how CCM can be yeah, outsourced. Yeah, you can
1: outsource your chronic care management, right. meaning any sort of uh, sort of maintenance or ordering of home health and you know, taking care of some of the more detailed administrative issues right. can now be outsourced to a non-physician who is acting basically underneath that physician. Right. And it can actually be a third party,
0: right. which was the key. Exactly. So, So now with RPM, you as a medical provider can essentially contract with a RPM partner company so that th- that company manages all the devices, all the patient onboarding, and they receive all the data that's coming in, and they interact as the first line with uh, uh, of interaction with all of the data coming in. So that you don't have to deal with all that noise, and they filter through all of that. So they have clinical teams. You know, the ones who are doing this well have a multi-tiered clinical team that is going through all the data. And this points. is
1: outside of the physician's office. Yes, this could be this. These people could be in Texas or Florida helping you take care of your patients in North Carolina.
0: Yes, and you set you set up with that team that okay you guys are the front line and if any of the following happen then that should then
1: trigger this x y or z trigger
0: a notification to my practice or my you know my my call center or what have you and so the good rpm companies are able to filter out typically more than 90 95% of the data coming in you know they will call the patient and say hey we just got a blood pressure read of 160 over 100 What's going on? How do you feel? Was that really you? You know, a lot of times oh, right. people, people are sharing will share the, share. Hey, you know the neighbors don't share over. needles
1: and don't share your <laughs> blood pressure cuff. Yeah, so <laughs>
0: they will do all of that so that you, as the the healthcare provider, can focus on what really matters.
1: So let me let me just again, we have talked to so many providers and it's. It's so funny. They you go to them and you say, "Listen, this is a brand new set of codes you could potentially make. Let's just say 200 bucks, 150 bucks a month. Let's just say it's 150 bucks a month for every single patient that you put an RPM device in it." Well, I can't handle that. That's too much information. Yeah. I don't want all that. Oh, okay. Oh, I hear you. Well, listen, one of the other services that the RPM company will provide is that they will be the first sort of set of eyes on the data That's right. and they will figure out where your you know your you know your parameters are and they will only call you for x y and z they're going to reach out to the patient if something critical comes out then they'll also send something to you so you can think oh no, no i, I want to do it all myself okay well how about if you give up a certain amount of that money a percentage of that money for this other company to do that for you and it's still a pretty good amount of money. Let's just say now you're making 50 bucks per patient per month or maybe even 100 bucks per patient per month. It's it's less than the whole code, but it's something for doing a lot of work for the patient and the patient's getting a good outcome. And still doctors don't want to do that. They don't want to give up all that money. They It's, it's weird, right? Well,
0: not only... <laughs> And then mm. they end up paralyzed and doing nothing. Which That's is right, exactly. Because a
1: hundred percent of zero is still what zero. They're and they're ending yeah. up with a hundred percent of zero. So we have found that some of the more enlightened physicians and more enlightened practices have been very, very uh, interested in this and have said, "You know, and, what? well, not
0: just interested, doing it. They're
1: doing it exactly. Yeah. They're putting devices that are connected to the cloud that are being monitored by off-site third party uh, offsite third party." organizations that are keeping track of their stuff and then contacting them when they need to. And they're having great, great experiences. Now, the funny thing is, is that in the state of Maryland, we are not in a value based environment. So everything is just straight up fee for service. It's not for the greater good of the, the state or anything like that. However, in other states where we really hope somebody would reach out to us, you know, at Amy at net and ask any questions about whether or not this would work for their own organization, that's sort of like a, a, a gross advertisement. But, you know, I think that ultimately anybody who's in a value-based environment, they, they would have an incentive to do this, right? Especially well, if they're working with Medicare fee-for-service, right? Like if you're not in – if you're not well, working for fee-for-service, I don't know.
0: No, so the, RPM uh, makes sense for – Everybody. Okay. So if you are in a if you're a regular fee for service doctor, then you can make after vendor expenses about a hundred to hundred fifty dollars a month per patient in perpetuity while you're monitoring and engaging with that patient.
1: That's a concierge level That's a lot of money monthly.
0: I don't think I don't think a lot of doctors are good at math. If you just put a hundred patients a hundred patients on, that is ten thousand to fifteen thousand dollars a month.
1: That you would have otherwise never After had. After
0: expenses.
1: Yeah, you would never have had that money.
0: And and for doing what? For, for doing the right thing, which is giving patients more attention. Well, and not only that,
1: but maybe they could then, lo- you know, sort of like lose some of their face-to-face visits in lieu of that. Just if they wanted to just stay flush with their yearly income, suddenly they're going to make... The same amount of money for yep. seeing less patients. Well, that's
0: why I that's why I liken this to Concierge a, a pseudo-concierge, pseudo-concierge. Mo- model. Yeah. You know? You, so you could...
1: Let's take your article, your awesome article. We're going to put that on Mastering Medicare, yeah, too. Yeah, we can do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah we're going to do that.
0: Um, I, I, and then if you're in a value-based model, where... If you're in a value-based model, then you make money by keeping patients out of the hospital, right? right. And, and reducing right. their complication rate. Yeah. Well, the more touch points you have, that, that's, all, we, that's, about, all, about that's it's all about touch points. So you, you, if you're in a value-based model, you still want the devices and the interaction. You're just going to make money in a different a way. A different from, way. Basically,
1: yeah. sort of a, yeah, a, a, diff- a different way. So let's repeat sort of what everybody needs to understand about RPM. Because I, I kind of... I, I'm so concrete. I just want to think about it in yeah. a different way because you you you're super philosophical and and you're and you're the medical director of this company, but I'm I'm just Joe Doctor and I have a bunch of patients and I say to myself, all right, this guy's got hypertension. I'll put a blood pressure cuff in his house. Yep. This person may have COPD. I'll put a pulse oximeter in their house. This person's got CHF. I'm going to put a scale in their house. I mean, you don't have to have like every god awful device in yeah. everybody's house. I mean, sometimes too much information doesn't help anybody, right? Sometimes you just got to pick and choose what might work. There's a lot of cardiologists that would put a scale, there's some cardiologists that would put a blood pressure cuff that has a pulse on it. Yep. But let's just say we put a, a blood pressure cuff. You know, I'd say of my practice that I had when I was doing house calls where the average age was about 83, I'd say my patients. For the most part, about 85% of them had a diagnosis of hypertension. Yeah. So let's just say we put a blood pressure cuff in every one of their houses and they check their blood pressure every single day. That's pretty amazing that I could make a hundred bucks per patient per month for them checking their blood pressure, a third party monitoring whether or not they've gone outside of their parameters, yeah. them having instructions on who to contact within the practice if they went outside of those parameters, yeah. and then being able to sort of help that patient take better, better care of themselves and helping the family take better care of the patient, yeah. their own family member. It's,
0: it's a really interesting phenomenon.
1: Um, it like, makes sense. It's, it's sort of different than a lot of things that Medicare has done because we all knew that telemed as it stood before when we were talking at the yeah. very beginning of the podcast made no sense. You know, you have to go to a doctor's office to be on a camera. I mean, none of it made sense. This actually makes total sense.
0: Well, I mean- it- you think about this. Like, I, I'm a healthy 40-something-year-old, right? And I I got myself one of AccuHealth's blood pressure machines to test out, you know, our product. And although I don't suffer from hypertension, I'm measuring, you know, my blood pressure every day. And it changes my behavior. And I'm a healthy person, let right. alone if you're an... other, Like, I'm thinking, huh, maybe maybe I don't need to have that bag of Cheetos, you know, or, or, or I,
1: huh. I'm i not going to add salt to my steak or whatever right. it's going to be. You and, just think about it.
0: And it's it's like that ph- phenomenon in physics where the, the, just the observation of something changes that. Right. And, and so we talk about that in, in healthcare and science too, right? You, you can't change what you don't measure. We say that all the time in right. business. Right. Right. And so just the fact that there is daily measurement and accountability and communication really changes patient behavior. Now, obviously, it's not going to work for everybody.
1: Right. There's some people that just don't really care. Yeah. But there's people who do crave this and and don't actually know. Oh, what device would I get? I mean, suddenly the the complexification of of just the enormity of of, of resources to do one thing. Yeah comes too hard it's just easier a company sends you a device you just use that device
0: yeah yeah and then and then the halo effects help all the other issues that the the patient is is yeah, dealing yeah. with you know
1: well i love how philosophical we are about this because it is it's a moneymaker but it's the it's actually weirdly enough a, a right thing for a patient to do and so as doctors we're sort of like oh this is a great thing to prescribe for your patients because it's good for them but as sort of reflecting back on our interest in making money in the healthcare system and understanding how the money rule money like moves, it it also makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Right. So, do you want to summarize sort of where we where we started in the beginning of this podcast, just discussing all the ways that you can take care of a patient without being directly face to face with them?
0: Yeah. So there are, there, and actually there are even more non face to face. Oh, let's keep going right? then. Let's well, keep going. I... <laughs> I I find them these other codes to be less attractive, like the e-visit codes. Oh, well the e-visit codes are
1: yep. Okay, why don't we just dive into the e-visit codes just briefly? The e-visit codes are the ones that are patient initiated. Like a patient actually has to say like knock on the doctor's door and say, Hey, I'm here. Can you help me? And my understanding is that for e-visit codes, you actually do have to be in a portal, in a patient portal.
0: Well, that is what the rule says. And what's unclear to me is whether the recent relaxations of the HIPAA rules somehow extend to this to say you don't have to necessarily use the portal. Like, what if the patient initiated a FaceTime call with the doctor? Right. Could that count as e-visit? I don't really know. And I've, I don't know. I've but what we do, we do know. know
1: that these e-visit codes, which pay significantly less- Then office visit codes are available and have been available sort of under the RPM umbrella a little bit, but they are patient initiated and it's not like a doctor can reach out and say, how you doing? But but there are those doctor check-in codes which pay a whopping $12. And there's like a few others, which I I don't even really want to talk about here necessarily. I'm not really sure they have a tremendous value. When RPM
0: exists, there's almost no reason, from my perspective, to do those. No, because
1: what doctor is going to be like, oh, I'm going to stop my day. I'm going to stop my day right now because a patient sent me a picture of a rash. I'm going to walk over to my computer and document that the patient sent me a picture of a rash. And then I have to keep track of the fact that me looking at that, will not trigger an actual visit in the next seven days. I mean, that's, there's just no way for doctors for $12 to keep yeah. track of that. For a hundred bucks, you're gonna get doctors to keep track of a lot more.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's you know, RPM for me is really interesting because it's recurring revenue, Yeah. right? Yeah. Number one. Number two, it, you can outsource it, right? So that yeah. 90 plus percent of the work is done by others so that you can focus on what really matters, which is, like, if the patient's blood pressure is abnormal, y- you need to perform the cl- right. the clinical decision-making to adjust that medication, right? right? And it's, but important. You should-
1: it's important to understand this is not just check marks to make money. No, no, no. This is actually, like, the data just gets yeah. filtered down in such a way that you're just getting the essential. Right. You're not getting the noise.
0: Right, exactly. Somebody and else is
1: handling the noise. You're getting you You're of-
0: working at the top of your license, right? Exactly. And you're letting other people manage the low-level stuff. So it, it, it's non-face-to-face income that is recurring recurring income, and you can use leverage by using lower level staff or a third party to do 90 plus, 95% plus of the busy work so that you can just do the, the critical decision making, uh, and it pays really well. So it's this incredible combination that I, I don't know anything even close to it.
1: Exactly. And I think in the face of um, COVID, it's one of those things where patients are not coming into the office anymore yep. to get their blood pressure checked. That's the very first thing right. that usually happens to a patient when they walk into a doctor's office. That's not happening anymore. Right. So if you can bring the medicine to them, that's hand in hand with yep. doing maybe some you know telemed visits. Yep. You basically are taking care of these patients as well as you possibly can yeah. without directly you know, touching their belly, listening to their chest with a stethoscope, et cetera.
0: And I want to give a shout out to AccuHealth, a little advertisement. These guys are amazing. You know, every device we use is cellular-based, meaning it has its own cellular right, chip. Right, so
1: you don't have to, the, yeah, no patient, patient Wi-Fi, who the cares? The patient
0: does not need to have a smartphone. They don't need to have Wi-Fi. They don't need to have Bluetooth. Oh, yeah, the Ma- device, major
1: last mile problems, yeah. gone.
0: The device is pre-registered to that patient before it gets shipped to them. So, like, when I received my blood pressure cuff, it has one button, start, stop. I press the button to take my blood pressure. The data automatically goes to the IQ Health platform and whatever EMR I'm connected to. I didn't never I didn't have to do anything else. And and so I love it when companies really think about how do we make this idiot proof? How do we make this simple? It, it, it simplicity is so so important.
1: Right. And I'm just going to take a second before we sort of wrap up here. Yeah. Alex and I have been very interested in how to engage with seniors, people who are over the age of, you know, 65 and obviously there's a huge spectrum out there and 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 part of the part of the thing that we were looking at was how can we assuage loneliness that became yeah. sort of something that we were very very interested in yeah and interestingly i think that rpm will address those issues because it does it does it's like this is like the the what what are they calling it the pandemic of loneliness
0: yeah well so well given I, I,
1: covid I, now we've got I, it even more
0: i want to share a story here we some of our doctors who use RPM, are very judicious with how they do it, and they they put, they put their patient panel on it, and then if a patient's, let's say, blood pressure improves to their target point, they take them off of RPM, so they actually cancel the service, and you wouldn't believe what happens. These patients call <laughs> and say, don't take me off of that, I refuse to go off, because they have gotten accustomed to the AccuHealth staff and it's, it's typically the same person calling them, talking to them. And to some degree, they form a relationship. That might be the only person who calls them every week.
1: Exactly. And, wow.
0: And so there are, there are these halo benefits from the RPM program that are really, really incredible.
1: Sort of the soft skills of RPM. Yeah. Yeah. The soft benefits. P- these
0: seniors need these touch points. It's not... This is not just fluff. You know, people need that human connection.
1: Got it. So I think we were going to do this podcast whether or not there was COVID or anything. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that ultimately being able to provide health care that is not going to, I mean, listen, I think doctors are freaking out, right? They don't want the patients coming in, but they need patients coming in in some way in order to make money. It's like every other business. If you don't have clients, if you don't have customers, you've got You've got a bankrupt business. So, what the non-physical, face-to-face Medicare rules and the softening of the telemed rules has allowed is for physicians' practices to stay in business. Yep. And what RPM is doing is continuing to support that. Yeah, totally ho- separate from totally separate from any emergency right. proclamation that existed, no matter what.
0: And what we didn't me- mention is how RPM and telemedicine connect. So what what. What very high functioning doctors are doing is <laughs> they are placing as many of their patients as they can on RPM who qualify. Mm. And then when there is a significant abnormality that requires intervention, then they have a telemedicine encounter, right? Brilliant. To s- say, okay, w- what uh, are we doing here? Your blood pressure is 190 over 100. Let's have the equivalent of an office visit via telemedicine to address it. And actually, one more point that we didn't mention, which also needs to be mentioned, is that this is not just Medicare. A, a number of private payers are paying for RPM, although it's hard to figure out exactly who. And Medicaid in many states oh. plays pays for some version of RPM. And in some states pays more than Medicare, which is incredible.
1: Yeah, there's always weird stuff like yeah. that. There was one thing I was going to bring up, and that was that... If you have a provider, a doctor, a nurse practitioner, PA, who has exclusively been seeing a patient in the office, yeah, and suddenly you do a telehealth visit, this is kind of separate from RPM, and you have the camera, and suddenly you see behind that patient, you see all their medication bottles yeah. strewn all over, maybe you see that there's a hoarding environment. Can you imagine how that would change the way a doctor then interprets yeah. that patient moving forward,
0: yeah.
1: there's a lot of people that get dressed up and look fabulous when they show up at their doctor. That's right. This is gonna like this is like a in front of the curtain behind the curtain kind of problem. Yeah, they're gonna be seeing a lot of behind the curtain. I think it's gonna be really interesting to see what happens uh, moving forward when providers do that, do start seeing what's going on in people's homes. Like, hey, Miss yeah. Millie, can you go and get me your your medications? Yeah. And you see that garbage bag come out.
0: Well, you know. it, it, there's another interesting phenomenon here, which is, uh, and I want to give kudos to Dr. Blake McKinney, the founder of Cirrus MD, co-founder of CirrusMD, the telemedicine platform that I practice on. You know, we see a ton of patients on, on, our, on uh, the Cirrus MD telemedicine platform and the patients send us pictures, right? Mm. Here's a picture of this. Here's a picture of that. And what Blake pointed out is that, guys, we have to treat pictures the same way a radiologist treats a film, which is, sure, you're going to address the question that was being asked, like, is there a pneumonia here in this chest x-ray, right? Yeah. But you are responsible for everything in that picture. Oh if my there gosh, is something yeah. extreme, sure. what if you see a gun lying around? Or what if you see evidence oh of gosh, drug yeah. use? Or what if you see something else? Uh, what if what if the picture patient's showing you this picture uh, because there's a laceration, but there happens to be... A skin lesion adjacent to it that has the attributes of melanoma. It's like gestalt yeah.
1: medicine. You yeah. got to take into account all the inputs. You, yeah, we are. Oh, we we got
0: to look at that whole picture and make sure that we're we're not missing anything and communicating to them about that. So there's some really interesting stuff that's happening with telemedicine.
1: No, I, I agree with that. All right, well, this has been really awesome. I'm so glad we did this.
0: Yes, thank you, Amy. This was awesome.
1: Yeah, this was really great. All right. You have been listening to the Mastering Medicare podcast. Visit masteringmedicare.net for show notes, additional episodes, and valuable resources.